Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. This is a summary episode covering the final years of Akhenaten and how the events of his reign fit together. We have already done two of these summaries for Akhenaten, covering phases one and two of his reign. Today, it is the third and final phase, regnal years 12 to 17, which we covered in episodes 122 to 134. By regnal year 12, approximately 1351 BCE, Akhenaten was well established in his power. He had moved to his new royal residence at Arket Aten, the city we know as Amana. Here he had established temples, a huge swathe of domestic and industrial areas for his people, and he had commissioned tombs for some of his favourite courtiers. The king had also started work on a royal tomb, east of Arket Aten, that would be the place of his burial and other members of his family. In year 12, Akhenaten celebrated the culmination of his efforts so far. A grand festival of tribute took place at Arket Aten, and we see this depicted in the tombs of the city. According to artistic images, the king received embassies from foreign lands. People came from the south, the conquered lands of Wawat and Kush, what we call Nubia. People also came from the north, from Syria and Canaan. Finally, people of the Aegean came to give Akhenaten their tribute, their homage, and their respect to the great king of Egypt. The festival of tribute is the last major event of Akhenaten's reign, at least in terms of what we see in the artistic records. After year 12, information slowly starts to dry up regarding the king's actions, what Akhenaten was up to. So, year 12 and the Festival of Tribute is our last securely dated event for his reign. It was the beginning of a dark period. In regnal year 13, approximately 1350 BCE, Akhenaten and his family started to suffer. It seems that there were a string of deaths in the royal family. The first of them was the princess Meket Aten. Meket Aten was Akhenaten's second eldest daughter. She was the child of the king and his great wife, Nefertiti. Meket Aten dies somewhere around year 13, and upon her death, she was buried in a special chamber of Akhenaten's royal tomb. It seems that the king intended for his tomb to become a family sepulchre, a place where other members of his bloodline could go to their eternal rest. Meket Aten was laid to rest in a small burial chamber just off the main corridors in Akhenaten's tomb. Images survive in this chamber, giving a record of her death and the mourning which Akhenaten and Nefertiti displayed for her. Following Meket Aten, though, the next death was someone older. The king's mother, the elderly Queen T, may have been the next to die. Queen T was already in her 50s by this point, so it's not surprising that she passed on. Nevertheless, her death was another loss for the royal family. She had been a figure of enduring stability ever since the days of Amonhotep III, Akhenaten's illustrious, glorious father. When Queen T died, Akhenaten buried her in the burial chamber of his royal tomb, 
he set aside a place within his own sepulchre for the queen to go to her rest. Artistic images in the king's burial chamber are damaged, but seem to record the funeral or memorial of Queen T. And it's quite likely that her coffin and sarcophagus and some shrines were set up in this chamber for her eternal rest. There were other deaths around this time, other minor children of the royal family, and possibly other individuals living in the city. We are not sure exactly what caused this, but the most likely explanation might be an epidemic. The Festival of Tribute in year 12 had brought a lot of people into the royal city, and many of them came from foreign lands. It's quite possible that people coming from Canaan and Syria might have been carriers of an epidemic. Historical records from this time suggest that a plague broke out in Canaan and Syria around the later years of Akhenaten. This plague is referenced by local rulers in the area and also in Cyprus. So it seems like a bit of a problem. If people coming from the Near East had carried a disease with them, this might explain the sudden rash of deaths in the royal household. That is just speculative, but it is a reasonable guess at the moment. If such a plague did occur, and it was responsible for the deaths of T and Meket Aten, it's entirely possible that Akhenaten himself got sick. This might explain the next step of his decisions. Sometime after the death of Meket Aten and Queen T, Akhenaten appointed a co-regent. This next part of the story is a little bit shadowy, but here's what might have happened. Sometime around year 13, we get artistic images of a new king. Someone ruling alongside Akhenaten shows up. This king is a male, and he seems to be married to Akhenaten's eldest daughter, the princess Merit Aten. His name is Smenkkarei. We have no idea who Smenkkarei actually is. He could be a male relative of Akhenaten or of Nefertiti. He could be a member of the extended royal family, one of those princes and sons who didn't directly inherit the throne, but who were still kicking around in the background. Smenkkare shows up out of nowhere. He marries Merit Aten, and he seems to become a co-ruler for the great king Akhenaten. The question is, did Smenkkare rule alongside Akhenaten or after him? That is unclear, but following the research of Aidan Dodson, I have chosen to place Smenkkare within Akhenaten's reign, a short-lived co-regent around years 13 and 14. Wherever Smenkkare came from, he did not live long. The young man died soon after he took power, and it's possible he was another victim of these plagues. If that's the case, Akhenaten might have been quite worried. His family seemed to be under threat, and in Akhenaten's mind, this might have been something to do with the gods. The ancient Egyptians seemed to have believed that the gods were responsible for diseases and epidemics. This makes a lot of sense. They did not have access to microbial biology or studies of diseases. So for them, mysterious illnesses were logically the result of supernatural forces. Which means that Akhenaten, or his subjects, may have viewed the epidemic as a kind of divine curse, a punishment upon Egypt for transgressions or sins. What these sins could be, we cannot say for sure. 
But I would not be surprised if Akhenaten grew increasingly worried that his royal household and his religious beliefs were causing some disruption. This might lead into the next phase of Akhenaten's reign. Moving forward to year 16, we start to see the slow unravelling of Akhenaten's position. Sometime late in his reign, the king launched an attack on one of the great gods. Akhenaten sent his agents forth to erase and damage the images and hieroglyphs related to Amun. Amun-Ra, king of the gods, was a supreme being, one of the great creator deities whom Egyptians worshipped and revered. Akhenaten did not really like Amun. Even at the beginning of his reign, he had sidelined that particular god, choosing to focus his efforts on the solar deities in particular. The theology around Amun-Ra and how he relates to other gods is quite complicated, and we can go into that in more detail in other episodes. Long story short, in his final years, Akhenaten launched an attack on Amun. He tried to erase the god and remove him from the official records. Some scholars mistakenly describe this as an attack on all of the gods, as if Akhenaten had banished other deities in order to honour just one. This is a little bit of a misunderstanding. Looking at the records from the temples themselves, we can see that Akhenaten's agents tended to damage the names of Amun specifically. They occasionally attacked other gods, but mainly gods associated with Amun. In other words, Akhenaten really disliked Amun. Other deities were secondary, and he was not too concerned. Again, we covered this in greater detail in a previous episode, but for now it is enough to know that in his final years, Akhenaten started to lash out at the images and names of Amun. It is possible, but speculative, that Akhenaten wanted to punish Amun for his perceived role in the deaths which the royal family experienced. That's just a guess, but if Akhenaten was feeling uncertain, insecure, or even persecuted by the deities, he may have attacked Amun as a kind of retribution. Whatever his motivation, attacking the names and images of Amun was a terrible theological crime. Akhenaten was messing with the divine order, the established rules and conventions that made up Egypt and the universe. Gods like Amun were fundamental to the proper functioning of reality. Without these deities, Egypt could teeter on the brink of destruction. So Akhenaten's attack was a very serious decision. Whatever his motivations, Akhenaten's deeds would be remembered for a long time. Finally, we come to the last years of Akhenaten's reign. In his final months on the throne, Akhenaten did not do too much as far as we can tell. But it does seem like he made one more effort to guarantee the legitimacy and security of his regime. Late in his reign, Akhenaten appointed his wife, Nefertiti, as another co-regent. The queen of Egypt started to appear in art as a king. She reigned as the king Nefer-Neferu-Aten. It seems that Akhenaten was trying to guarantee things, to make sure that when he died, his ideas and his policies would continue. 
Presumably, Akhenaten intended for Nefertiti to be a sort of caretaker, a stopgap until such time as a male ruler could come to power. The next ruler would logically be Tutankhaten, a young prince who shows up in the later years of this king. Tutankhaten is probably Akhenaten's son. We have one record that calls Tutankhaten a Sa Nesut Enhetef, a king's son of his body. It is also possible that Tutankhaten is the son of Smenkhare. If Smenkhare was old enough to bear children, he may have already had a young son when Akhenaten made him a co-regent. This little part of the story is still extremely uncertain. The scientific data is controversial. There is a lot of debate about what it actually means. So we cannot be sure if Tutankhaten was Akhenaten's son, or if he was the son of Smenkhare. Either way, maybe it doesn't matter. The young prince was there, he was available, and Akhenaten might have seen him as the next step in the kingship. If that's the case, he would have to wait. Akhenaten appointed Nefertiti as his co-regent, in order to ensure that his ideas would continue. Tutankhaten would inherit eventually, but for now, it was all Nefertiti. Finally, Akhenaten's reign came to its end. The king died late in his 17th regnal year. We know that thanks to pottery fragments from the city of Amarna that record dates and even indicate the transition from one reign to another around year 17. Akhenaten died in roughly late September or October. He was approximately 35 years old, as far as the historical evidence can tell us. After his death, the king was buried in the royal tomb east of Arket Aten. Later on, his body might have been moved somewhere else, but to start, he went to his rest in the tomb that he had prepared in the city he had designed. Akhenaten's reign ended with a whimper. Considering the significance of his policies, his decisions, and the sheer upheaval of what he tried to do, Akhenaten's reign really peters out towards the end. This does not mean that he was not doing anything, simply that the evidence does not survive. In future, we may get more information about what exactly Akhenaten was up to, but for now, it seems like the king slowly diminished until, eventually, he died. The death of Akhenaten was a major blow to his ideas and his policies. Although the king tried to establish something that would last, something that would meaningfully change the landscape of Egyptian politics, many of his decisions were undone by later rulers. In this sense, Akhenaten's revolution, quote-unquote, was short-lived. Following the king's death, it all slowly fell apart, and within a couple of generations, nothing was left to record it. That being said, some of Akhenaten's ideas did continue. Small concepts and references would continue to show up in the iconography, the language, and the symbolism of Egyptian pharaohs. Some of the king's domestic policies also fundamentally changed the relationship between the king and other parts of Egyptian society. The temples, the army, even the officials and the peasants were all affected in various ways by Akhenaten's decisions. Those ideas did not go away quickly, it would take time, and many of the small things he introduced did have a surprisingly long life. In the end, 
Akhenaten is best known for his religious beliefs, his worship of the sun, his love for Aten, and the glorification he gave to the sun disk high in the sky. Oh, hello there. I will stay behind to gaze at the sun. The sun is a wondrous body, like a magnificent father. If only I could be so grossly incandescent. Even if he did not meaningfully change the Egyptian state or the power of the pharaoh, Akhenaten is a noteworthy ruler, one of the most significant in Egyptian history. For some people, the king is an overplayed, slightly frustrating individual. They're tired of hearing about him, they're tired of talking about him, and they would rather focus on other, more meaningful pursuits. For others, Akhenaten is a remarkable individual, a person who seems to step out of the iconography, the dust of history, and reveal himself to be a passionate, fascinating person. However you feel about Akhenaten, or his religious beliefs, we cannot deny his significance. And with the king's death, many things were going to change. <laughs>